Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. So just like Eternals, but in a different way, let's just cut right into this and uh, get going. Because I think there's a lot to talk about with Dune, but mostly good things. <laughs> so Dan, what's what's Dune about? Oh man, Dune is about a lot of things. <laughs> uh, but the 2021 film is the latest in a series of, uh, I don't want to say attempted adaptations because I don't want to sound like I didn't like uh, this movie or anything, but there, Dune is the famously difficult to adapt uh, novel by Frank Herbert, which he, I think he wrote four other books in the series, like Children of Dune, Dune Messiah, and a couple of the books. And then his son continued the series. And I believe there's like 12 official Dune novels or something like that. So if this is a hit, Warner Brothers has their new uh, science fiction franchise. Uh, famously, the film was attempted to adapt, been adapted by John Arowski, who eventually abandoned the project and years later was released as a graphic novel. David Lynch famously has a 1984 film as an adaptation that's generally regarded as one of David Lynch's worst films. There was a 2000s miniseries. Uh, but however, when it was announced that Denny Villanueva, Villeneuve, I don't know how to say his last name, was going to adapt Dune into a film, the collective nerddom just freaked out because everyone loves Denny. Uh, he is a director and writer with an incredible track record specifically in the science fiction genre and so everyone is really excited about it and so here we now have dune part one don't let the marketing fool you this is not the complete story of the novel dune this is part one the opening title in the theater when you sit down is dune part one but i could see why they wouldn't put that all over the marketing and don't worry, part two has been greenlit and it should start shooting soonish. Uh, but Dune is written and directed by Denis Villanueva with additional writing from Eric Roth and John Spatz. It is an adaptation and it stars an all-star cast of actors. You have Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, you have Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Dave Bautista, Zendaya is kind of in the movie, Jason Momoa, it plays the coolest dude you ever know, so <laughs> typical dissimilar fashion. Javier Bardem is in two scenes. Uh, so it's just a who's who of actors are in the film and dune is a story that is deceptively really simple yet needlessly complicated in the way it's done that's not denny's fault that's how frank herbert writes uh basically there is a planet that has a thing called spice on it it's a hallucinogenic but it's important for space travel for reasons i do not understand 
and the emperor has sent oscar isaac to go and to get the spice product production up going there's an indigenous population whose eyes are blue due to prolonged exposure to spice but there is uh skeeves afoot where there's a power play at hand to try and take the spice for themselves also timothy chalamet may or may not be the space messiah and that's sort of an underlying thing in the movie and the movie looks gorgeous and beautiful. Denny knows what he's doing with the camera. He creates these magnificent uh, looking spaceships and sets. Just from the start, dude. Just it from is the start. <laughs> I mean, visually amazing. Yeah. Also, and you have Frank Herbert's material, which is science fiction fan science fiction. Everything is explained. There's all this cool technology that makes sense in a way that science fiction fans will appreciate. They explain how people can breathe and it can uh, withstand great heat. They have specific types of armor and everything. So if you're a fan of science fiction, doodads and gadgets, this is the movie and for cosplay. you. cosplay. This is for you. This, if, you <laughs> if you love cool costumes and space stuff, this is definitely for you. I can, yeah, I assume the next Comic-Con, there's going to be a lot of people in those suits. It is, however, punishingly long film. Uh, my theater was very antsy the whole time. However, unlike Eternals, uh, I was mostly engaged the entire time. It's a beautiful looking film, beautiful sounding film with great sound design. The acting across the board is great. I'm not a big Timothy Chalamet fan, but I thought he was great in this. And I thought he did a great job as a central character. Rebecca Ferguson's wonderful in it. And Oscar Isaac and Josh Brolin and they'll like all have charisma for days. So I overall enjoyed Dune, though I could definitely see this not being a movie for everyone for various reasons. But Melvin, I know you really liked it. So tell me what, what you thought about it. Yeah, Dune was awesome. I just to to jump on that last point you said where not everyone will like it we're in a chat group and one of my friends uh in the chat group message was like because i had just gotten out of the theater the first time and he goes would a 12 year old like it because i figured he's like he wants to take his nephew out and i'm like nope <laughs> they will not it is scary it is freaky it is boring for if you're under that age because yeah. uh Villeneuve, Villeneuve, I think, has said like he wanted to make Dune like Star Wars, but for adults, which I think is really funny because it makes all of the man children cry. And uh, so it's always really great. Um, and yeah, this movie is it has that wonder and excitement of Star Wars, but in in the adult awe-inspiring nature that Villeneuve has been doing for years, where everything is just like I think Villeneuve has this this vision of mindfulness where just the mere existence of like the current moment the fact that it's never existed before and you're now experiencing it is a, in itself beautiful and Villeneuve does that with film where like just the most simple thing is which it's simple in terms of science fiction and not so simple in terms of real life but like the simple act of a spaceship taking off is just wonderful and super cool like one of the most memorable sequences is a spaceship coming out of an like an ocean <laughs> and that's in the first 20 minutes and you have so much more to look forward to and it's it's just one of his biggest talents but awe awe as an emotion is humbling and frightening because it just sort of puts you in the perspective of feeling small it and and it's a good small but one of the big one of the big detractors of this movie is that that's sort of a perpetual experience in the film is that you constantly feel small in the best kind of ways and uh and that can be very tiresome so yeah not for everybody definitely for me <laughs> and i would even say it wasn't even quite for me the first time i watched it but when i went and, go and saw it again cuz it just as, as eternals moves into theaters uh, actually as last night in soho came into theaters it kicked out dune from premium formats 
And uh, actually, I think it had an IMAX premium format for an additional week. Uh, but we all know how I feel about IMAX. And I was so I caught Dune twice in Dolby. And uh, yeah, the second time was even better. Uh, I understood a lot more. I understood it very clearly in the first time, but I was able to soak in a lot of a richness because like you said, Dune is very simple, very simple movie. There is a planet that is basically the uh, treasure island of planets that the Empire has a particular house. The House Harkonnens take over and mine the spice while they're surviving against the Fremen who fight against them and also the dangers of Arrakis, such as the titular sandworm. But then the Harkonnens leave and the Empire then sends, sends House Atreides to take over. And so it's very simple science fiction, borderline medieval stuff, um, which I, my wife said, I just love that this is the future, but they still use swords. This is what I love. And uh, so it's got all that stuff, that simple stuff that you need to really get into it. But then it has these intensely rich characters, amazingly realized characters that each time you watch it, you will find something new, whether it's how characters talk to each other or her- how characters react to one another. Which is amazing because when we get into spoilers, well, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but when we get into spoilers, it's almost like they become richer, but it's limited by the fact that the spoilers. Anyways, um, so it's just got, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you know, because <laughs> like, it's a great cast. <laughs> we'll, we'll just say that. Um, but it's like, um, yeah, it's got everything you want from what Dune, what Denis Villeneuve is saying is it's adult Star Wars. <laughs> and, um, Man, it's but but it is oppressive. That first time I watched it, it's like you are just sort of like in this awestruck state of fear and excitement, but mostly fear for the for the runtime. Because I think Villeneuve, first off, he needs to direct a horror movie. Although I guess maybe Enemy would be that. I never I never even finished it, but I didn't get through the first five minutes. Uh, I was like, oops, too much adult content. Oh, maybe next time. But he just has this way of making things feel wonderful. And I think that's because when he shows sequences of science fiction technology or like wide shots, he always has something on the top of the screen to imply that something's over to above you. And I think that really gives this sense of scale. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I loved its themes that it kind of dives into for all of the faults of Eternals wanting to talk about humanity and the value of life and the wonder of existence and how each individual thing has its place, such as just a line about how these palm trees that live on Arrakis that were transplanted and require like 10, the, the water that 10 men consume <laughs> in a day every day for these 20 trees have value. And there's just this joy and beauty to it um, with how much work and how much, how much investment goes into it. Eternals wishes it can talk in the poetic nature that Dune is trying to. And uh, Dune just hits, hits it all. It gets everything that I want in a good science fiction. But yeah, it is like, I I don't know if I would say, like you said, I think you said the, the runtime is oppressively long, I think it's oppressive because of who's directing, because it's just so much. But the runtime feels much fresher and much cleaner, mostly because the movie moves at a pace of a miniseries that you've just decided to press play uh, for every additional episode. Because it's like every 20 to 40 minutes is a new episode with beginnings and ends and beginnings and ends, but they all interweave perfectly. And, uh, but you know, 
that's Denis Villeneuve. We don't really need to, <laughs> need to keep saying that if we were to review every Denis Villeneuve movie at this point, like one after another, you'd almost probably hear the exact same things in terms of criticism or not criti- just analysis of how he makes a movie. I mean, we were talking about him being like this director that everyone's fallen in love with. He had like what, six or seven just knock him out of the park movies one year after another. Like this is a guy who just yeah. eat and breathes movies. Like he's just sitting and there's just a film reel in front of him and he's just cutting it with a knife and putting it in his mouth. This guy like Dune was the first movie where it was like a break between films. Like I think three years was it 2018 was Blade Runner 2049. So it's been like three, four years. And then like 2020 cuts into the middle to keep him from putting his movie out. So he might've cleaned it up a little. So like, it doesn't matter though. It's like this movie came out right after 2049, which by the way, in interviews, he said he's wanted to work on Dune, but he used 2049 and arrival. Uh, and I feel like something, another sci-fi to basically practice so that when he came to Dune, because he knows the track record of Dune, um, that he felt really equipped and ready for it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think that's about as much as you can really say about the movie without going into spoilers. Is there anything else we can kind of get out of it? Like, what do you, what are you thinking? Yeah. So I mean, uh, like I said, it's definitely a science fiction fan science fiction. Where, for example, uh, you mentioned that people are using swords. It's because. They've created this. Everyone wears a specific type of armor that, like, can withstand an initial blow. But if you keep hitting at it, like, they have the blue hue. But if you keep pushing down the on the vibrational shield, yeah, the shield, it turns red. So instead of bullets, they have like these like beetle like bullets that literally like burrow into the armor. Super cool. Super. That's a type of like thought out science fiction world that science fiction fans are really going to appreciate. So and great drama. Like wonderful yeah. drama because like um, just to put it into perspective, like when um, Paul and I forget uh, Thanos's character, who what's his Josh name? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Yeah. Well, who does he play? I don't remember. But they're doing a practice fight and you're seeing how the blades work together and how it like and it just you're getting the rules of how this works without right, it yeah. having to be like six pages of someone describing the technology and how it evolved. And you're immediately getting set up for how the logic works and the drama of like, oh, man. This guy's clearly a better fighter than the other person because I'm seeing how much his shield is reflecting and I'm just waiting for it to turn red for me to get much more sweaty in the audience to be like, oh, no, he's going to lose. And it's just, yeah, yeah, man, it is science fiction, science fiction. It is good, good stuff. But yeah, if we're talking about the pace, yeah, it is pretty accurate to say it does almost feel like it resets every 20 to 30 minutes, which is what happens if you adapt a book because the pace of a book especially Frank Herbert's Dune chapters, yeah. which is infamous for being a book that a lot of people own, but don't read because it's really difficult to get into. Uh, even I voracious readers. I know specifically science fiction people, like people who've read, they've read all of wheel of time. They love Brandon Sanderson. They'll be like, yeah, man, Dune. Ugh, it's, and I, the few people I know who've actually read it will say they don't like it. They're just like, ugh. but then the opposite is people who've read it thousands of times. It's one or the other. It's like, yes, oh, yeah, I'm trying no to redo. And then it's someone like, yeah, I've read it like 10 times. You're like, uh, what's going on? Yeah. It's, <laughs> is it like for every time someone reads Dune, someone else doesn't? Like, is that yeah, just the, law, the rule? Law of equivalent Dune exchange. Yeah. But so, yeah, the pace is going to be difficult for some people. Like I say, this is so I, I saw Eternals. So the next day I went to the theater, saw Dune because everyone was mad at me for not seeing Dune. And so I called up my friend uh, Gabriel 
and we're like, yeah, let's go see it. And he he went to film school, so he's like a movie person. He's not like a movie fan where like he doesn't follow like movie news and gossip or anything, but he likes movies and I always appreciate his insight. And we're getting ready to go see the movie. And all of our movie people we know were like, oh yeah, Dune's great. And he's he's texting his boyfriend and all of he was like, yeah, we're seeing Dune. And he's just like, oh yeah, me and my friends went to see it. We all hated it. We hated Dune. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> and so then I go to the theater and I'm in the theater. Everyone's getting like antsy. People are, che- I can see the light of people's phones. They're checking the runtime. And everyone's like, because oh. like the movie hits a point where you feel like it's just ending. And it just keeps going for another like 30 minutes. And everyone's just like, when is this going to end? And in the bathroom after the movie, I was in the bathroom and one dude turns to the other guy. He's like, yeah, man, that was like the best movie I saw all year. And his friend's like, that was terrible. What are you talking about? Wow. And so I am really anticipating uh, the Dune discourse, which is a fun sentence. But I can feel like there's that initial wave of like movie nerds, people like, you know, you and I, Melvin, who we like a good movie. We don't mind if it's slow, if it takes us time to build stuff. And we're like, this is great. But then as a movie becomes popular and it because the movies made quite a bit of money, they greenlit a sequel. I can wait to hear the the people coming out of the woodwork going, This was way too long. You should have cut like so you could cut or rewritten the entire script, basically. Cause admittedly, there's like little bits and pieces of the movie that kind of don't go anywhere, which I don't know if they'll pay off in a sequel or something. But like there's an early kind of assassination plot in the movie that doesn't really go anywhere. And so like I could see that there's gonna be some 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 backlash against the overall praise that dune has gotten because everyone in my timeline everything loved dune and i like dune i thought it was a good movie but i i could anticipate for some palettes it's just not going to be to their liking and so yeah i think it's just a movie that uh obviously has an extended cut there's definitely mm. more because blade runner 2049 has like a four hour cut and everyone still wants it but like i kind of watched it thinking warner brothers is banking on it being their new lord of the rings i could see that yeah and so they're just like look People who rewatch Lord of the Rings now never watch the theatrical cuts. They yeah, just watch yeah, the, yeah. the the extendeds at this point, which if you did not know, Return of the King is like over three hours and that's the theatrical cut. And so like, I think, um, I think it's one of those cases where they're just sort of preemptively going, yeah, toss in that assassination plot, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really go anywhere, but it gives you a lot of character. Uh, it gives you some character um, engagement and tension because there really hadn't been any tension yet in the movie for a while. And so it it sort of feeds a couple things in that way. But also, yeah, it's like if you had an extended cut, people would just watch it anyway. So I don't know. That's that's kind of my first thought with that. But yes, there are scenes in the movie that <laughs> even I thought this would not be in here if there was not a producer who just loved Denis Villeneuve and really yeah. wanted to see dune if this was a different filmmaker who didn't have the track record as well as the sway yes you know yeah not to say i didn't like the movie or anything i know people think that i yeah i quite I, liked it yeah. i like it more when i think about it you know? i liked it more the second time honestly well that's what we like my friend and i we, we were talking after the movie and he was like i feel like this is a movie where if i watched it two or three more times i'd like it more but i don't know if i want to make that commitment to watch it and it, it will be better if the sequel's just as good if not better yes. too because fellowship of the ring is not as good as the other two movies but fellowship sure. of the ring feels better when watched with uh two towers and return of the Agreed. king Agreed. and this movie will i think have the same effect where it will feel better when watched with dune part two electric boogaloo so 
we shall see. And apparently that miniseries of the Ben Jezzeret on HBO Max that will be coming out eventually. But that's just oh, going to be like okay. one of the most petrifying that's, things to watch because the Ben Jezzeret seem like the, the most powerful, terrifying things in, in the Dune universe. I love them. I love their look. I love the music that accompanies them in scenes. I love like the lighting choices whenever they're there. I like to imagine that that's what their spaceship sounds like. That their spaceship just sounds like a choir of nightmare women. It's just the most terrifying thing (laughs) in the world (laughs) hey there it's your friendly neighborhood call to action just checking in on you hope you're doing all right i'm just stopping by to say you know if you enjoy the show you can always subscribe and write a review for cinematic doctrine there's itunes Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen you can give us a shout out with a thumbs up five stars gripping positivity or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You it's want to me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. But yeah, Ben Jezzeret, pretty scary guys, huh? Don't mess with them. (laughs) So yeah, I I I quite liked Dune. I th- in, especially like in contrast to Eternals, where it mm-hmm. felt like a movie where the runtime things were happening, <laughs> where where yes. I felt like I was watching in like the quiet slow parts. I felt like I was really seeing a real lived in world. Uh, all of the politics are there, like where everyone and the the movie makes this decision that will alienate some people, where there's really not a lot of bluntly expositional dialogue because everyone talks to each other like they already know each other they don't explain things that they wouldn't need to be explained to them because they already know yeah the first scene with paul and uh, lady jessica talking lady jessica's like tell me to give you the cup and then he uses the voice and i'm like oh man you just lost (laughs) a lot of people they're gonna be like what the heck no no you lost people with the opening scene being this emperor voice poem saying dreams or messages from the deep. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. I was that's when that started cuz like, like all right. Sometimes like you get you get to like directors that are like the people that like your film bro follows like Villeneuve, um you have um David annoying Fincher. people on Twitter like them. Yeah. Yes. And so like there was a part of me that was like I kind of like I cynically a very very small part of me that was like I hope Dune sucks. I hope Dune is just cursed so that these people could just stop stop being who they are and stop idolizing. And then like it starts like that, and I'm like, oh man, dude's gonna be great. <laughs> like 
the, the first second, some foreign made up language saying a poem. Oh, yeah, this movie is going to be awesome. And even just like the way it's introducing the Harkonnens as like this nightmare clan that that like has these this awesome technology as they're harvesting the spice, even just the way it pans from like the spaceship to the Harkonnen in the field. And I'm like, yep, yep, it's gonna be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so and then even the way they like satiate Zendaya fans by having her show up every like 20 minutes with no lines heck yeah dude yeah it feels like they <laughs> shot like 10 minutes of footage of her and just like looped it you know <laughs> it's awesome yeah what a good movie <laughs> that's it wow you guys waited a month for us to just say what you already knew <laughs> it's a good movie wow should we go into spoilers though because i think i think it's time to talk yeah, about hit that new spoiler music but <laughs> oh my god all right spoilers what happens dan Oh man, most of the cast dies. Yeah, they, <laughs> they get paid a lot of money just to die in the first forty minutes. For me, I think that's partially why. Like, I was like, I could see why they wanted to split this into two parts because so much of your name value principal cast would only be in half the movie. Who's who's left in Hollywood to to be in the next movie? Who is big enough in Hollywood? He just put all of the like. All of the hot guys people fawn over lately, they just die in the first 40, 50 minutes. You could definitely, <laughs> Tom Holland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a crossover. And yes. there will definitely be a scene where he has spiders on him because Villeneuve is known for making <laughs> jokes like Dude, that. How much, how badly would film Twitter explode if in the middle of like Dune 2, like a portal opens up, like a Doctor's portal, just Spider-Man, Tom Holland falls through. Oh, guys, what's going on? He's like doing quick <laughs> like one-liners and Marvel jokes. And Timothy Chalamet, you like a space Jesus, man. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You ever see Star Wars? This is like adult <laughs> Star Wars. You know, that th- that old movie? This is like Star Wars, but boring. He just like looks at the screen. <laughs> As all the people with like Dune shirts just get up and throw popcorn on the screen, like boo, you know. <laughs> but all the Star Wars people, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> dressed like stormtroopers for some reason. I love seeing Dune. Uh, <laughs> I just, I can't believe it. In my screening, these people dressed in, in in clone troopers, and these people dressed like Harkonnens. They just started beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a couple of things that really stood out to me about like. Yes, like I said, Dune Dune feels like a real lived world. And one of the things that immediately like I connected with is the clear allusions to sort of like the Middle East, right? So like there is a important resource that powerful governments want. And the people who live there all follow like some algum Abrahamic religion. Because they're doing like they have like the Islamic uh prayer thing where they're like on their knees, but they also have like Catholic prayer beads and rosaries and stuff. So it is this sort of like pseudo mixture of abrahamic religions of the indigenous peoples but then timothy chalamet's character who's <laughs> this is so funny his name is paul which i kept laughing at where it's like because he's supposed to be like this messianic figure and then there's a the whole thing about like there'll be holy wars in my name his name is just like paul <laughs> yeah like, there was so there funny. was a letterbox review that was like you mean this entire like coven of witches spent a millennia creating this specific messiah and then you just named him paul (laughs) that's it you should have had a cool name like duncan idaho duncan idaho is one of the coolest names i've ever heard uttered on this entire planet this is so cool it's like what's that street lamp lamouche or whatever the things like reddit person (laughs) 
<laughs> just like a name that is so intimidating that a bunch of Harkonnens just let him take an ornithopter. Oh, yeah, they just literally, he's just like, legs like bang some swords together and they just like, go ahead, sir. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, just to deviate for a second, like there's a someone on Twitter was like, Jason Momoa is great because it's almost like all of his characters seem like someone's like, the character is, what if a dude was super rad? And yeah, Jason Momoa nails yeah, it every time. All the time. <laughs> He's so cool. Yeah. So like all that stuff really connected with me as a religious person. <laughs> where I just like, it's like interesting, like the idea of like, what if there was in, first off, oh, something I have to mention because it's super funny. When the first thing you see Timothy Chalamet in, where it was just like the space, like the name of the planet, but it was like the year 10,142. The person next to me was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, they were like genuinely <laughs> amazed. That's a long time away. They sat into their breath. <laughs> and that person was checking their watch on the whole movie. So <laughs> maybe this was the right person for the movie. But like, yeah, what if in the year 10,000, there is this like messianic figure and he starts fulfilling these prophecies, you know, much like a Christ-like figure. And the people who are follow this religious belief system, like there's a great scene early on with um the person who's telling him how to use their suits and they just know like he does something really subtle and simple and she quotes like a i get what you like can say like, or like their ver- yeah. their version of scripture like a like how a someone in the time of jesus would quote something from like isaiah right and that stuff was i thought was really interesting and it's subtle enough throughout the movie where it doesn't overtake the story but it's a thing that's happening in the background yeah and it, and it comes to head in the last like 20 minutes yes. when it really starts to become more prominent but it's earned it's yes. it's very much earned and it's yeah it's earned through like the horrible sacrifice of other characters but like be by being murdered but also like it's this underlying drama but also it you feel like you're stepping into an already existing story because all of these figures already exist all of this religious mumbo jumbo people are speaking clearly means a lot to the characters that are happening to there's a whole thing with like swords and knives that have great meaning and purpose to the people and so cool paul's mother knows what's happening and and which i will say one thing i was confusing is like uh timothy chalamet's parents are oscar isaac and rebecca ferguson and the whole time i just assume they're a couple and then in like two hours of the movie oscar isaac just looks at and goes i should have married you and my friend and i were just like wait what <laughs> who yeah. are these people and then like five minutes later someone mentions that it's like it was his concubine and I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know if I just missed that, but we were very confused for a second. No, they don't really say that. Uh, I think it's it's probably more book stuff. Um, and there's it, it adds more drama and tragedy to the fact that they weren't married. Yes, because he clearly loves her. You know? Yeah, a lot of passion and care and love. And he loves Paul. And so it's like, and Paul is a concubine's child and he's going to be the, the duke. So obviously there's not just love for paul his son but there's love for her to make him the next lineage to the house of trades so there's like i mean these characters are rich there's a lot of stuff going on very very complicated characters just like real people because that's how people work too um for and so that's i think that's where like like getting into like talking about these religious things that are in there too what makes the film work when it wants to get into religious topics and sort of like, uh, like in our Eternals episode, you talked about how they this is a movie trying to cover all the bases of multiculturalism, but when like eighty percent of basically ninety percent of the population of the planet has some sort of religious bent, the movie doesn't want to talk about religion at all while talking about philosophy. 
um, and then just does it in the science fiction Marvel way, which is a giant stone just decided to create things. But then this movie actually covers a lot of like dynamics of spirituality in a way that are like the core tenets of why do people have spirituality? It's like hope for change and future, like overcoming evil and your oppressors and things like that, but maybe not overcoming them in the way that you expected them to kind of as Paul's <laughs> maybe space Jesus <laughs> as <laughs> things are developing. Um, and it really just dives into them in ways that are going to be very controversial for a general audience. And by that, I mean, they won't understand it, <laughs> but that's sort of fine because we're two Christians that are very confident in our faith and we don't understand everything. <laughs> that's part of how faith works. <laughs> so I, I really, really appreciated that. And that's sort of, I think that's a necessary aspect of discussing philosophy or religion that often is un misunderstood is that you need to have this aspect of wonder, awe, and, and a lack of knowledge to really put into perspective how faith and, and uh, I don't know, existence works. And it's one of the reasons Eternals doesn't work is because it wants to exposit everything down to the T, which starts to eliminate a lot of the wonder. The classic problem of horror movies is you explain why the monster exists. Don't do it. <laughs> Just let it exist. And a lot of what makes this fun is that it doesn't really make sense why Paul sees visions or anything like that or has a magical power i mean even the whole thing is like apparently the only people that can use the voice are women and so the fact that he can use the voice is an indicator of him being the space messiah but then also why <laughs> i don't know is it because he looks a little more effeminate i don't know who cares it's just cool and that's all that matters <laughs> that's it Dune is cool. That's all that matters. That's my what review. What a thoughtful <laughs> review. Like, who cares? It's cool. <laughs> put, that, put that out there. No, I think there's, yeah, there's quite a bit going on in the movie. And I am, like, I want to see what happens next. And, you know, as you probably have gathered, my, my friend Gabriel was a little more cool on the movie. Wasn't He wasn't as, like, hyped about it or anything. But he was like, you know what? I definitely want to see the next one. Like, I want to yeah. see where this goes. It's really interesting. And I like that, you know, and I like that it has politics in the film, but like not it's exciting feels, space politics. It's exciting. It's partially exciting because it is space politics. Like, you know, the emperor is like this weird monster that I thought was a giant snake for so much of the movie because of like the way his clothes were. But no, you could just the like emperor. Hover. No, there's, yeah. we don't see the emperor in the movie. Oh, sorry. The, um, the Baron. But yeah, so like the Baron is just like grotesque Gross. looking uh, just person. disgusting no emotion because he has basically he's basically like peak self-indulgence to the point that he has no like he's emotion. hedonism he's a he's hedonism in a character basically right but ironically being hedonistic he has no like it looks like he's never had joy in his life no matter what he does he has this almost complacent face of just existing but no evidence of being alive if that makes any sense which is just great what good direction then <laughs> that's got to be hard to perform basically being told don't use any of your faculties of acting just <laughs> exist and be gross <laughs> right and so it's, yeah he's very gross and yeah it's, it's never like this like weird heavy-handed thing it just feels like this is the dynamics of whatever the politics and government of this future world look like there's powers at play that want this very treasured resource and so like they're all going for it and 
you kind of like get like even if you don't know all the details, you understand like what's happening mm-hmm. and why everyone wants it, and it's intriguing. And you do root for Oscar Isaac's character because because he's nice. He's never like yeah, you never you never hit over the head with it, but he does seem like a relatively altruistic guy who seems to like the locals. He likes the workers. He will sacrifice like the spice to save people. There's a big scene where he he's like he was willing to risk a lot of stuff that's monetarily very valuable but he wants to save all the people who are working on the space so you you do want him to have the power in the situation while there's a baron who leads like a really weird <laughs> like evil army nightmare that, planet that yeah. dave batista is i was hoping for more dave batista i love him we'll and probably get more vaguely the, yeah well he's one of the characters that survives it all culminates in this massive battle sequence, which is very cool. I love how you said culminates, but it's only like that's like fifty minutes in the movie. Yeah, so it's not really culminating. <laughs> it's like this is still your backstory. My theater thought it was the end of the movie, hence why they all got were so restless for the rest of the movie. But there's yeah, there's a massive battle sequence, and Duncan Idaho gets to kill a bunch of people, and all the stuff comes. There's a there's a family doctor that turns out he's been bought out, and so he. He betrays them, but he sets up Oscar Isaac's character with like a fake cyanide tooth thing to try and kill the Baron in revenge. And everyone just dies. And Duncan Idaho is awesome in the scene. And like, I don't know, when when things do finally happen that I guess would fall into the, the realm of a more traditional action science fiction film, it all has a good emotional punch to it that I really enjoy, where you really care about who lives and dies. It's not just a bunch of disposable bodies. And it's a surprise if you haven't read the book. Like, you're really like, Part of what works with the casting, too, is you're really not expecting these people to be off in like half the movie. And then they are like and some people you don't see die, but you can pretty sure are guessing they're die. Like Thanos is definitely dead, <laughs> but also we didn't watch him die. So maybe he's around. Um, and uh, yeah, but most people like you watch them die and you're like, oh, uh, that's where this story's headed. OK, I mean, by the end, like we're talking about the spirituality stuff. What else could they do? Everyone else is dead. All they have left is to talk about the spirituality and kind of express like really start setting the seeds for what's next with how Paul is going to develop as a character. How is he going to relate to the Fremen and get into that more humanism kind of thing going on? And uh, because because everybody's because everybody's dead, except for, of course, the Baron. He lives and he has a mud bath, just like Bowser in the hit movie (laughs) Super Mario Brothers. So. I really thought that was quite the reference. The 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 rich the rich cinematic <laughs> tapestry that Denis Villeneuve is like drawing from. Yes, uh, the Super Mario Bros. movie. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm I'm very because here's the thing. I did not read the books. I know nothing about Dune outside yeah, of me this too. movie. I know so absolutely I'm, I'm nothing. Very curious as to how because like obviously for obvious reasons not to be redundant, but I was very drawn into the Tim Timothy Chalamet messiah stuff like that's the stuff that really like grabbed me because i'm very curious to how this all pay off because it's not just that he's the messianic figure he is supposed to lead a holy war and the holy wars we fought in his name and that's something that not i'm not just curious it's like in the sense of like oh man how are they gonna pull this off in a movie <laughs> without making everyone on earth upset yeah but just like what is i kind of wonder what, what is the end goal like what is what what is the story they're trying to tell and what point they're trying to make with it and, you know, that's the stuff that's really drawing me in where I'm very curious as to what, like, what statement are they going to make with a space holy war? I don't know if do you have any thoughts on that at all, but maybe not space holy war, but I mean, his character is compelling more so the second time around um, than the first, because there's just so much that happens in this movie. 
at such a great pace, but there's so much that happens that it's sort of hard to keep up. Um, but like his character is this movie is really just about him getting agency because a lot of the drama that I found really emotional, um, which the movie really got me after the, after the fall of this city, I don't know what, if it has a name on Arrakis, but when the house of Trades is almost entirely wiped out and Paul now has to be the Duke when he's having these nightmare visions of, of the Holy war that's going to happen. The whole movie is so much of him not sure who he wants to be because it's a coming of age science fiction movie, but it's also everything. It's an everything science fiction movie, just as science fiction should be. And he hasn't even decided what he wants to do yet with his life and who he wants to be. And now things are just being thrust upon him. And it's this petrifying, terrifying thing. One of my favorite scenes, this even the second time around is, um, Lady Jessica, they've landed on Arrakis and she's going to have a helper and she has this lineup of Fremen people and she chooses one who has a weapon. And uh, so they're they're like trying to be careful, like, oh my gosh, did this Fremen show up just to murder and start killing? And it's like, no, the Fremen is here to offer a gift. And now she's handing the gift, this blade that's from the tooth of, of uh, I forget, the Shahalud, I think is Shahalud, um, one of the sandworms or maybe the titular sandworm, it's a tooth of his that's turned into a blade and she gives it to Lady Jessica. And then she like, I mean, you're going to lose more general audience people because it's so weird, but she's overcome with awe that she starts to like moan with fear and, and petrifying, like just a petrifying emotion. And she basically says like, you've been waiting for revelation your whole life that when it finally comes upon you, you don't know what to do with it, which is like, how awe kind of works. Like you're just so stricken with this wonder and joy of taking in the beauty of like life that it just sort of catches you off guard and you don't know what to do with it. And Paul is constantly, constantly embraced with this where things are happening around him that he just can't seem to handle. Um, even when Duncan Idaho ends up dying, like he's been expecting it because he saw it in a vision and he still doesn't know what to do with it. He can't stop it from happening. And then he has to run away. And, um, that's really when we start, I mean, even in that scene before Duncan Idaho's killed, you're starting to watch him develop into more of like taking control. Like he's the one who devises the plan. Like I will propose to marry, um, the daughter of the emperor and, uh, kind of like show that there's peace and unite the, um, the empire or whatever, whatever the science fiction plan is. Cause ultimately that isn't really that important. What's important is the characters, at least for me. And then progressively from then on out, we start to see him take more agency up until the end in which he decides like, no, my, my journey, my, my pathway leads into the desert. So Dan was asking me, what did I think about like him as this Messiah character? Like, how did I draw into that? For me, it was really just drawing into just this age figure of agency and, and the coming of age of Paul that I found really compelling. And again, yeah, like the, when he's having this panic attack of like, even like my future, like someone's just going to con me into like using me, my name to start this war. Like that's, that's a freaky concept. That's scary to just find that like, I've been given all this power and it's not even mine. What am I supposed to do with it? I don't know. I find that really moving and sad. And that kind of sets up the groundwork for a tragedy of what could happen in the next few movies, which is the benefit of not having read the books. I don't know what's going to happen. And I can't wait to see how Denis Villeneuve interprets it for his adaption. But then as we're getting into all this fear, 
we're also then starting to see him develop as a character like his father, who sees the Fremen as valuable. And ultimately, human life is valuable, which we can get into very soon, because I think that that's one of the broadest the broader topics here is um, the value of human life versus someone who is horribly, horribly evil. I mean, man, I texted you after seeing it the first time. I'm like, you're going to love the Baron. He's so evil. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> he's just like, like it's, it's, it's like the kind of evil you want to see in movies where like, please don't humanize him. <laughs> like, I love that he has no humanity left. <laughs> it's awesome. Also, I wish this movie had more blood. There was no blood in this movie. What? I'm sorry, but I just watched Dave Batista execute like nine people aggressively with a sword. <laughs> just, just let me see some blood. Snow blood in space, you know. I know. I know. Like you said, the thing that really drew me in is all the stuff with uh, Paul <laughs> and, his, <laughs> and his mom. And what what, what was your feeling on that final knife fight scene? I loved it. Oh man, that's so. This is this is the stuff that I really like. This is once that scene where he panics about like his future, and then we get to there. That's when I was really falling in love with the movie. The move that scene will be confusing for people if they don't understand the ornithopter scene. Which, by the way, when when they're in the ornithopter and they fly into the storm, that's when I was like, I gotta get a 40x ticket. I gotta the where you have the moving seats and all the uh, stuff going around. Like they put smoke in this in the thing. They'll spritz you with water and stuff like that. I was like, heck yeah, just just shoot sand in my face. <laughs> just do it. I can't wait. But I'm pretty sure I missed it uh, in the 40x screening. Oh well. Even the second time I saw it, I didn't catch it in 40x. So. Oh, well, but if you're watching the ornithopter scene or even a little before, like it's sort of assumed that like it's presumed that Paul, if he is this Messiah figure, one trait of the Messiah figure is that they basically can exist in time and space, observing it at different times and experiencing it at at like all at once, but disjointed, if that makes any sense. When he's witnessing these, you're so it's potential that he may be the character. We don't know because we have to find out as the movie develops because there's also an implication that uh, Lady Jessica is pregnant with another child. So that could be that could be the Messiah figure. But Paul, at the very least, it's implied as having these Messiah-like experiences of witnessing time and space at different times. You talked about the scene with, um, I think her name is Lieutenant Kine who um is putting on is checking her his suit and he ends up doing a unique thing that's uh only noticed by people who've worn it before and she calls the scripture and so there's a lot of this but during this ornithopter panic scene where the ornithopter is just flying around he's trying to control it in the storm he's witnessing uh scenes with a man and the man is talking basically about mindfulness about um, uh, which as a DB fan, uh, I am a DBT stan and mindfulness is my particular, my particular favorite and probably my most, uh, practice of the particular DBT skills. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the inside out episode, or just read some articles on our website and learn about how is an inpatient program. It is the pinned tweet on our Twitter account, uh, which I keep beating to unpin to replace something else, but then someone just liked the tweet again, and I tweeted that whenever that. What's the tweet came say? Out. That just like it's just our like, hey, we're back to regular scheduled episodes. Here's a here's our new episode as well as explanation for why we're on hiatus. Oh, cute! So it's just our pinned tweet, and someone liked the tweet recently. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's okay. very cute. Thank you, one person who liked this tweet. But the he's having this vision with a figure talking about like embracing time and. Sp- 
space in the current moment and sort of flowing with it, moving through it and seeing how by participating in the motion of basically life, you're not being passive. You're actually experiencing it in the moment. And in doing so, you can really take it in for what it's worth. Um, a good example of this when it comes to mindfulness practices is just food and how people eat. Um, being in a, co- a capitalistic society that likes to uh, focus on profit over anything else, food is of no benefit to you. Uh, food is just, in fact, being human is of no benefit to you because it gets in the way of you making more profit and value. The fact that you have to go to the bathroom, not worth it. We're going to make toilet seats that are tilted, so it's not even comfortable. Oh, you're taking too much time preparing food? That's okay. We just made you a, a microwave dinner. It's all good. No, it's not. It's actually the worst thing in the world. But when you mindfully soak in food, so just eating an apple and like a really good apple or grapes and being able to take in the texture and the fact that this is just like God's creation, creating something so tangible, wonderful, and amazing. Like I was just talking to Kat. It's so funny. It's like you, you, people probably think I'm like smoking all the time and I just say crazy stuff, but I'm saying to Kat, I'm like, what the heck? Like a seed just made an oak tree. What? <laughs> and she's like, well, let me tell you about it. I'm like, don't tell me about it. Let me just find that awesome that like this tiny thing in the earth just soaks up energy and then creates some shade for me to enjoy in a hot day. Like that's so beautiful. And he has this experience. He he stops fighting the storm and then just embraces it. And then the, by the next time we come back, they've raised to a point where they can actually exit the storm and then they escape. But the thing at the end with this knife fight is that when he gets there, you see the person that was in his vision, but the person is very confrontational and clearly does not like Paul or outsiders or anybody. And it gets to this sequence in which that figure is now now going to do a fight to the death with Paul. And there's no way to not get out of this fight to the death. But you're thinking to yourself, well, Paul had this vision with the person and it was clearly quote unquote in the future and it was in the future affecting the present moment. And now he's going to potentially fight him. And you can see Paul doesn't want to kill him for two reasons. Probably one, because he's thinking like the audience is thinking if you, if you can keep up with it, cause it's pretty, pretty heady stuff. And I'm pretty sure it's still going to be, I said to Kat, I was like, this will lose some people. I mean, he lost them in the first second with the poem, but like you'll really lose them here. Um, and then two, because Paul also has not killed somebody um, yet. And he's there's this growing fear of war and, and who is he going to be and that sort of thing. That's, of course, when you get this line during the fight or during at least the visions before the fight. But I think it's actually he's having visions in the fight at the same time, where it's essentially like to kill someone is to die with them too. I don't know, something really interesting. And this is just something for me as someone who like, I don't, uh, I think I've said to you before, again, more like, a pot smoking Melvin of which I don't do, but like, I just love humans. I love people. I love the way the Lord has made them. I love the different quirks and hobbies and interests of other people. And so this scene basically being like the potential for the relationship and the character building that can take place and the joy that you can have, the fact that he's being mentored by this figure, there's so much like romance to just life itself in this moment that if he if paul kills this man will never happen and that in itself is incredibly sad deeply sad and of course 
the end of the fight, he does kill him. Um, and of course, as every art student is going foaming at the mouth because they're seeing there's a there's a pile of dead bodies on fire in his visions, and it's like this is the first pile, this the first person he's killed moving towards. So of course, everybody who's in art school and loves Denis Villeneuve is like, yes, this is the cinema I love, even though it's quite simple <laughs> and still looks great, but quite simple. For me, the knife fight. Once, once I like started to understand the movie as basically Paul's coming of age story, like that's the main through line. I saw it as a very fitting climax, um, especially with all of its themes of of just sort of hope, future, the the awe inspiring overtones, and the perfect directing for that. Like of all directors, this is the director to do it. Combined with ultimately, what's what's the most awe inspiring thing? that like the Lord has created. Well, it's like us, like there is so much joy in our image bay nature. That's like so amazing. And then as Christians thinking of it, that like the Lord would love us so much that he's willing to die for us to do that and then redeem us is just crazy. So of course I'm walking out like, gosh, I love Jesus so much. Thank you, Paul Atreides for making me think about Jesus, which is exactly what I did not do. That's what I feel like other Christian podcasts do where it's like, what was it that with our eternal recording two hours ago, where you're just like, let's, let's talk about, we don't want to talk about Venom too. Like there's anything spiritual going on. Well, at least Dune gives us a little more to work with, but all that to say is I thought it worked. I thought it really worked. I thought it's theming that it's setting up and even for the future and the hope and the not so subtle hope that Denis Villeneuve had when he shot the final scene where it's like, this is only the beginning. And then he goes home and sweats like, oh, I really hope people see my movie. <laughs> um, but like all of it really works for me. Um, and so, yeah, I loved it. The second time I watched it too, I was like, I was amped to just like experience the ending again. So yeah, what about you? Are you did you ask that because you felt like it was a bit of a I don't know, anticlimactic when compared to the fact that 40 minutes in we get to watch a bunch of explosions and people die? Yeah, I definitely felt um it felt like a cumulative, a cumulative moment. Like it definitely felt like uh Timothy Chalamet was coming to his own like this is the moment he kind of becomes his own man in a sense where not only is he no longer living under his father's shadow he's no longer basically part of he's striking on his own you know and so it felt like that kind of moment but it definitely was kind of odd that the character he kills to like really like be, start become paul the messiah is a guy who in his visions previously had been assisting him mm-hmm. and so i think that could definitely be a little disorienting to audiences even myself i was kind of like i felt conflicted about what i should feel in that moment like it's a triumphant moment in that he his he becomes his own man he's able to defeat a foe relatively easily compared to the rest of the film we don't really see him ever show any admirable combat skill like he's beaten pretty easily by josh brolin earlier when they're training uh but i did feel a little conflicted in the moment where i'm just like okay like i'm not sure what i'm supposed to be feeling right now i know I'm, i think I it was feel generally positive but yeah it's sad it's sad to take a life it's the first person he kills uh, he's never killed before, and everyone knows it too. Like when they, when Lady Jessica mentions it, like you get this reaction shot of everyone else going, like, "Oh no, like this is bad." Yeah, like it's actually not a good thing. And he doesn't have to. He's able to. He repeatedly defeats him and just says, "Yield." Like, nope, we don't do that here. Yeah, you're gonna be a sand person. You gotta know what the sand people do. You know, and so it's a uh, yeah. I just felt a little conflicted at it. I definitely got the broad strokes and gist of what was happening, but. 
I did feel a little conflicted. And it's, 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 it's also, I also think it is interesting to have this thing where he meets these people from his visions. Finally, they're nothing like his visions. Like Zendaya is relatively indifferent to him. Like, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I thought that was awesome. I think, I think the best kind of science fiction plays with the things that we don't actually know. Um, when we get to my recommendations, I'll draw on that a little more. Um, but like a lot of good science fiction always adds in a spiritualistic aspect to it. Um, Baby's first science fiction is typically Star Wars. And I say that with a joke because Dune is apparently the adult Star Wars. But like um, you get to move into move out of your diapers and put on some boxers for Dune. And um, but uh, like the having in these like this spiritual element or like even the voice having this like supernatural aspect really is part of the human experience. The fact that there are just constantly things you don't know, no matter how much technology you have, like at the end of the day, yes, spice is an energy component, but it makes you trip out, man. Like that's really interesting. Um, and really kind of breaks down the over-reliance on technology and the, the like, because technology is problem solving, but how do you solve the problem of death or how do you solve the problem of like conflict? How do you solve human conditional problems? And so when Dune's kind of cutting into stuff like that with a lot of its imagery and yeah, at the end when it's like this character we've seen in visions who seems like kind of a nice guy who's going to be his mentor, like a friend who um, he might look up to and already in a way kind of looks up to before he even meets them, which I think is kind of why Paul by that point has such a, doughy eyed look in the last scene is because he's sort of now confronting what he wanted from his future or perhaps speculated and saw versus what is actually happening, which is a very much like our experience as humans now, which is when you have an expectation for a particular job and then you move into it and it's nothing like you expected. And it's, I think it's very mature of Paul to be very patient and just continue to observe. Whereas in other situations you can have hopes and then they're dashed and you're just mad all the time, or you have a fit, or you complain, or I don't know. And so I think this is where the danger of adapting Dune comes in is because it wants to, it's like a turtle is wanting to talk about everything. Dune wants to talk about everything. And it has a format where it did it. But guess what? It's like super long. <laughs> it's like a brick that people have not been able to get into. And uh, Turtles, unfortunately, didn't have the benefit of having a source material that's deeply loved or in or even like appreciated by many, many, many people. I didn't know anyone who was like, uh, like how Dune is sort of talked about is like that book everyone owns, but nobody's read. Like, I don't know. I, I didn't even know what Eternals was until like t- uh, two days ago. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, but yeah, I guess is that sort of what you were hearing from like the particular, your friend said there was a group of people that were just like, yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Was it cause like Dune gets to, is is seems like it's covering too much or even that the ending is so complicated because the ending is like he becomes his own man death is bad uh zendaya who who this girl because <laughs> it's it's basically not the same um all that stuff and the movie kind of just ends too like that was the yeah, first thing i know i texted ends. you guys i was like it just it's just over. <laughs> like it's, it, there's still more to do and i was ready to stay in the theater for an additional two more hours but Whatever. I actually don't know if I was told why why they didn't like the movie, but like the general vibe is just it's so long and you feel that length 
I think for a lot of people. That's interesting because I didn't, my, my wife and I neither felt the length. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I mean, I guess it's like, yeah, obviously, if you're enjoying the movie, it doesn't feel that long. But yeah. I was, I was starting to get like about two hours in, I was starting to get a little, little fidgety. Just like, okay, you know, this is mm-hmm. good. I like what I'm seeing. I enjoy everything I'm seeing. But, and I think uh, the lack of like a lot of incident, I think also is going to like hurt a lot of people's enjoyment just because. A lot's happening and not a lot's happening at the same time, which is something that, like, if you're vibing with the movie, that's totally fine. I don't mind movies where nothing happens at all. I'm totally okay with that. It, but for movies, and this is a common problem with Denny's films, is they're marketed as these big science fiction blockbusters, like Arrival or Blade Runner 2049. Or oh, man, yeah. These movies that, like, they're marketed the same way we'd market a comic book movie or a superhero movie. And then... Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 and now Dune are not particularly action heavy special effects extravaganzas. They're slower, more contemplative movies and they are about what they're about. And I think for a lot of people, especially in a time where like post pandemic, like my friend, like this is the first time, like the person I was to see the movie with, this is the first time he'd been in a theater since the pandemic started. And so for for people who are like they're finally getting drawn out of their homes to go back to the theater, what there's and what's going to get them out of the, the out into the theaters is big action movies. And so if you're used to sitting at home, if something's boring, you just turn something else on, or you could pause it, you go to the bathroom, you come back. I think this is also kind of going to be a weird movie for people to come back to the theater for. Sure, totally. If all you've seen is Shang Chi and maybe something like maybe Venom two, and then you're seeing Dune, that's not what you're accustomed to anymore especially when you've had a year plus to get used to move where you can fast forward you can just sit on your phone if something's not catching you and especially too when like the big battle fight sequence is a massacre <laughs> like they do not it's like house of Trades doesn't get a punch in <laughs> that's it they like the only person who kind of succeeds is duncan idaho and then he just leaves <laughs> like so it's it's like you're not even getting the sequence of like thrilling combat it's more just like it's not choreography heavy kind of action movie you know yeah yeah a lot of the punches feel a lot of the violence in the movie feels like it's actually happening and guess what normal violence is clunky and sweaty and unless you're watching like big martial arts or something yeah yeah no yeah so i think i think for some people they're just boring honestly i don't think there's an interesting reason why they didn't like it i think it's just long and well you say that but i'm like rotten tomatoes 90 percent for audience score yeah, that's pretty high. Well, I think there's a difference. I think there's different. The people who are going to go in and log their feelings around tomatoes are not the same people who are just going to go to the movies and then afterwards over beers tell their friends they thought the movie sucked. You know, for sure, totally. Yeah, maybe I'll ask him. I'll be like, hey, why didn't why didn't you like the movie? <laughs> so, so, I think it, I think he just thought it was boring. I think that was the reason why. So. Valid, totally valid. I should have asked the guy in the bathroom. Why I thought it sucked. Just like why is it the urinal? Be like, excuse me, sir. Could I have your feelings on this movie? I have a movie podcast. I'd love to get a quote from you, sir. Urinal thoughts with Daniel. <laughs> this is the third straight Denny Villeneuve film I've seen in theaters that people like were visibly not like when I saw Arrival, there was a bunch of like high school, middle school students just running around the theater screaming. <laughs> so and then Blade Runner 2049, much better. Like it was definitely a more filmy audience, but then like half the theater was just like this is not the Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford action movie I wanted. So there's some people who are kind of starting to whisper and talk. And the other half of the theater was like fully engrossed. Like, this is beautiful. So this movie, yeah, everyone just felt kind of 
my theater did not like the movie is some of the vibe i got so yeah and you did go like third week fourth week yes in, so i'm so. not seeing the people who are like yes they're like pumped about the movie and they're counting down the days and to be clear i like the movie i will say that when i went though it was when i went both times it was not a packed theater but the second time i went was like middle of the day on wednesday and it was a pretty it was more filled than a middle of the day wednesday screening usually is S- same i yeah i went at 3 p.m and the theater was like packed it was like yeah. a smaller theater, granted, but it was a full theater. Still, it does so. help too that the movie, at the very least, looks great on the big screen. I mean, it is definitely uh, that yeah, yeah. kind of movie. Like it is, like you could catch a lot of the movies we've talked about at home. Um, I hope most of you caught Eternals at home. Is it on Disney Plus? No, it's not early access. They're doing a thing now where, like, I think for the most part, it's going to be like Shang Chi hasn't hit Disney Plus yet, and I think it's going to be on there in like a week or so or something. So I think they're now doing like a staggered release where it's going to be in theaters exclusively for a few months and then it's going to hit Disney plus. Yeah, They got to throw movie theaters a bone because they know if they start just putting on D plus, it's probably not going to be as well, big. more so because of the whole Scarlett Johansson That's suing too, them thing contract thing since seeing Eternals yesterday and even having recorded Eternals before this, I felt like there was a lot more we could have talked about with these two back to back in the sense of like how they relate to each other as different. Yeah. Cause there's I, a lot of parallels. I mean, we mentioned in Eternals that Chloe Zhao is a big Villeneuve stand. When, when she pitched Eternals to Disney, she took Villeneuve frames from his movies as things to pitch. Eternals is also trying to be very humanistic and kind of be awe inspiring because it's about like, all these crazy things. Uh, but then like the characters are super weak. There's no one you really can fall in love with, like as like fictional characters that you find yourself liking a lot, if that makes any sense. Cause like I liked everybody in Dune, even the bad guys, frankly, cause they're all quite interesting. Like uh, we get like a second of that emperor's planet and it's the scariest thing I've seen all year. <laughs> Like a bunch of warriors with blood sacrifices being like, <laughs> like I don't know, trained or totemed into being like the Sardaukar, like nightmare warrior things. I'm like, this is terrifying. What else is on this planet? Like, do they f- have farms? <laughs> like, do they? What's their agriculture system look like? Just dead bone bodies like everywhere? Is it like so? Like. Everything about this movie had me more interested than Eternals, but like they're kind of the same because like, okay, so I think I've made myself clear on how I saw them parallels, but I know I texted you and you were like, yeah, I thought the same thing. Like, what is it about Dune and Eternals that got you thinking that they were kind of similar? They're both two and a half hours long. (laughs) Ooh, Uh, but I can't make a I can't make a funny joke about Dune being long. I could say Eternals was an eternity. Oh, but Dune, what am I supposed to say? Quick, Dan, what's what you have to yes and this one. I'm not letting you get past it. What what are you supposed to say for Dune to make it sound like remember what is it? Dill New News um Blade Runner 2049 hours long. So what's Dunes? How you doing? Uh as far as <laughs> that's uh, a pickup uh, line, not uh, a uh, not, you have to uh, dunk on it. <laughs> what it, what are they doing? For two and a half hours. It's so long. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good job. That was great. Yeah. What are they doing for two and a half hours? I don't know. I wish oing, I had oing, oing. been playing Splatoon <laughs> on my Nintendo Switch. 
in the theater. <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> this Switch. Movie so long. Uh, r- rule of three. Uh, Duncan Idaho's comes on screen. You pause the screen. You look up, <laughs> and then you, oh, Duncan Idaho's gone. All right, just turn your Splatoon back on. <laughs> what did you think about Dune versus Eternals? What was it that was the parallels for you, other than length? Kadoon. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, they're both two and a half hours long. They're both science fiction movies with spaceships. Uh, they, there's quite a few characters in both films. Both have star-studded casts. Both are big budget films. They both had around, I think they both had budgets of around $200 million. They're both adaptations of long-running uh, nerdy properties. Granted, yes, I put your pitchforks down. I'm not saying that her, Frank Herbert's story that he initially published piecemeal in a science fiction magazine is the same as a comic book series. Uh, but more so it's more, these films are trying to tell long running stories across a great period of time where this, the focus is less on the world itself and more about the philosophical implications that they're putting forth. Dune, there's clearly some stuff in there about colonization. There's stuff in there about, uh, product over people but more specifically there's a lot of philosophical religious theming throughout it about a messianic figure that was supposed to lead an oppressed middle eastern-esque group of people against a larger empire and there's also political intrigue there's the things going on behind the scenes as far as who wants the planet itself there's a power play that's going on while eternals is trying to be a story about the lives of these people and their feelings on the value of human life in light of how long they've lived and learning that human life is literally being chosen to be expendable for in a cost to create greater amounts of life elsewhere. But there is no telling of whether or not it'll contain the humanity that we see in the people and they've grown to love the human beings in spite of their flaws, which is even the first time Marvel movies try to be about that. And so those that I think ideologically are the similar things with Dune, where I think it succeeds is that first off, Dune is a lot more focused, it, despite its many elaborate set pieces and visually stunning moments. It mostly takes place in one or two locations, and they really dig into the people there. Like you get these vignettes where they have the thing with the palm trees, you have the thing with the religious customs and the meaningfulness of like the gift of the knife. And you and when they talk about it, they talk about the population, but they don't do it in an expositional kind of way. The Oscar Isaac is just telling his son important information as a father would tell his son. And I think because of that more focused nature of it, like when things happen, they have more gravity to them. And when you see Timothy Chalamet, for example, begin to take his place, uh, because it's taken him so long to become accepted by these people, we see at their customs, they do not care for Oscar Isaac's operation there. They more tolerate their presence. And I think it has a lot more meaning in that. Yeah, you figure he's coming to the... He's coming to become Duke Leto's son, like just exactly what Leto wanted him to be in the first place with that incredibly powerful and touching yeah. line in the beginning where it's like, you'll just, whatever you choose to be, Paul, you'll always be what I, whatever, what I've wanted you to be my son. Yes. And it's just like, oh my gosh, my and, heart. <laughs> and just, the show don't tell us of it. Like we don't need 40 minutes of someone telling me that I really like you know, my the son. Duke is a bad dude. Yes. It's, yeah. It's like the Duke <laughs> comes and does a bunch of bad stuff. There you go. You know, I don't need the Baron. You're talking about the Baron. Sorry, the Baron. And I don't need the Duke is good. The Duke is a good guy until he's dead. And well, I mean, I don't, <laughs> he didn't stop being a good guy when he's dead, I guess. But like, you don't like, yeah, I, yeah, again, I don't need a long expositional scene about why he's, he loves his son or any long expositional scene explaining 
how impactful it is to see like Timothy Chalamet take his spot amongst, uh, I don't know the names of groups of people, the blue eyed people, a Fremen. It's just that scene. When you see it happen, you know, it's important because the movie's built up the scene. So it takes place. Timothy Chalamet doesn't look to Zendaya and go, this really means a lot to me. And somebody <laughs> who's been, you know, whatever, you know, Thank you so much for the tooth knife. I really value this. <laughs> I will now use this to go kill that man. You know, I've been having lots of dreams with this knife, and it really, really packs a punch seeing it now in person. Boy, the dreams don't do it justice, you know, or something, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, just, it, it just happens, and it, it means something because you've watched it happen because it's a movie, and they've spent time <laughs> really building up this knife thing, you know, and so when it takes place, it hits you versus in Eternals where – there's only one scene of show don't tell, which you didn't, which you didn't even like, you know. So yeah, that's my feelings on that. Yeah, Eternal's not great. Dune, good, you know. <laughs> nice, <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, Dune is good. Wow, what a surprise! Again, it's isn't it kind of funny? Like I, I talking just film criticism or analysis here because film criticism is such an annoying name, but the most interesting stuff to talk about is the movies that aren't just great. It's like. Because like Dune is interesting to talk about, mostly because it has other things to talk about in Dune. But if it was just a good movie, what would there be to talk about? Everyone would just be excited for us to talk about, to say exactly what they've already talked about with each other, if that makes any sense. But anyways, anyway, because Eternals has plenty to talk about in that there's nothing that it says with how much it tries to say. It's like a child when they first learn how to talk and uh, they just kind of use words, but they don't know what they mean. Thanks, Eternals. What what was your interpretation of the recurring motif in Dune about the bullhead? Oh, oh, uh, yeah, I love that too. So I know his fa- I know his grandfather hunted them, right? He knew what he wanted to be. Uh, I thought it was. I thought of a couple things. Uh, see, this is why Dune has so much interesting to talk about because Villeneuve just leaves things up for you to think about, as opposed to expositing and going. Well, you see. You see, Paul, this is why your my father liked to play with bulls. <laughs> it's like, no, we don't need that. Just let let it be something we think about. I sort of saw it as a couple things. I saw it as like the the dynamic of a bull wrangler is that he is controlling something powerful with something very simple. Um, but the danger of something so powerful is that it can always gore you at any second if you don't watch yourself. And uh, that's sort of something we'll probably see in the future as Paul becomes powerful and the emperor maybe dies. I don't know. We'll see what the rest of these movies are. Um, Because the emperor is old. We haven't even seen him. And yet he is the one behind the curtain controlling everything. He is the one who put the House Atreides at um, Arrakis after House Harkonnen, knowing that House Harkonnen would would, um, first off totally sabotage everything and then come in and try and kill them. Of course, the Ben Gesserit have their own thing, but who knows if they're in line with the emperor or in line with themselves. Um, But you have this dynamic of just looking to like, no matter how much power you have, there's sort of this natural balance of motion. If this makes any sense, that isn't, that often is ignored by those who have power. People with power feel like they're... I've been thinking about this a lot as I've been given a leadership role at my job. And then also when I think about just the dynamics of power and leadership as also someone who's been under poor leadership for a very long time. And leadership often isn't that you're given power to control. It's really more like 
you are given responsibility to respond, things come towards you and you are the person who has to decide what happens when that thing finally hits you. What happens when this danger that could disrupt the functions that you're trying to complete at your operation, um, you have to decide what direction are we going to go and you also have to take the blame. And so really power isn't just about being able to decide and do whatever you want and the pride and power of being like God. It's just this almost natural passive thing that God has done in creation in which anything that isn't God, if it's given power, is really just responding to what God has already decided or what he wants to do. Um, and I think when you're constantly getting this motif of the bull, it's just a humbling moment, which again, no better director for doing this, this humbling rep, uh, repetition to think about how little power someone has despite having an entire, an entire house beneath you. I mean, it's important to remember repeatedly that House Atreides are considered very, very, very powerful warriors. And yet the Sardaukar show up and then they just lose. <laughs> and and uh, they're ultimately in line with the emperor from the beginning. It's like House Atreides takes on the role. And then later on, Duke Leto's talking about like, this is not good. <laughs> like, like we do it because this is what we're supposed to do. But we do it also knowing that we need to, we need something supplementary to what's going on to stay safe. And then sometimes it doesn't work out just like how his grandfather ends up getting killed, uh, doing exactly what he loves. But there's something also about the fact that doing what he, he was doing, something that he loved, something so considered inconsequential and needless as getting into a ring with a bull. I mean, this is something people were doing 80,000 years ago <laughs> in the timeline of this world. And yet it's just a simple pleasure. And I think that's something else that I really enjoyed about Dune is it constantly repeats back to just simple joys and beauties. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of how the palms even worked again, like the palms as a, just a brief motif of, uh, of how much investment some, something joyful can take. And yet that beauty and joy that's experienced is completely worth it, if that makes sense. And I think that's, I think the bowl wrangling motif of the grandfather is sort of this mixture of a couple of those things put together. It's the power dynamic. It's a, it's a self, um, it's a self-fulfilling joy. Um, and then also it's a good plot device. So why not? Um, why was that? Were, were there, did you find that there was a couple things in this movie that just felt a little too alien or strange for being like motifs in, I don't know, in this movie or, or are you just curious? Yeah, I just wonder. I just wonder what you're feeling. I yeah, I kind of felt it was just more like the oh, favorite legacy thing, like you know, mm -hmm. living up to the great man that his father was. And right. so throughout the movie, he's like the legacy is like literally there, ever present, watching him. And so he's kind of yeah, always above them, you know. And so it's something to live up to. And even in the beginning, uh, when Paul and Duke Leto are at their gravestones, um, it goes in line with the fact that Paul can witness past memories and experiences anyway, and probably is seeing things that weren't things he experienced to begin with. Because um, if he's space Jesus, he's probably experiencing the lives of other people too, which could explain why he sees um, the guy he kills at the end. But Paul or, or Leto has a line about like, well, if you're trying to find out who you are, maybe find it amongst them. Like, see see the lives they lived and maybe see what goodness and greatness in them that you enjoyed or fulfills you that you could do too. 
um, which in turn is something he does through his own father by then pursuing the Fremen at the end, um, like his father ultimately would have done if he, you know, lived past the 50 minute mark of uh, Denis Villeneuve's grand magnum opus Dune, released in 2021, featuring Timothy Chalamet and several other actors who don't make it past the 50 minute mark. Did you like my little rant there, Dan, where I just sort of started listing off things? I got a text message right when you started, so <laughs> I actually didn't hear. Where are you, Dan? You've been offline for four hours. Is everything okay? <laughs> I mean, a podcast. Help me. <laughs> this white guy just abducted me. Put me in a podcast. <laughs> he's he's forcing me to talk about his movies, the movies he likes. Would that be something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... I don't know. I just, I liked Dune, you know, I just. Did Dune produce less feelings in you than Eternals? Because Eternals could produce frustrating feelings. I, I genuinely feel like I need to sit with Dune more and maybe watch it again. I just. Yeah, you just watched it like three days ago, right? I watched it uh, Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, like three, two, three days ago. And then Sunday, Sunday for me, because, you know, ministry stuff is just. Just wall wall to wall stuff, you know. So I just I didn't really think about it much, and so yeah, it was just. I definitely feel like it, there's doing a simmering under the surface of my consciousness. Like I watched it and I enjoyed it, and I have all these things that I'm still ruminating on. Mm-hmm. And so maybe perhaps in a future episode, I'll just blurt out some feelings about Dune, you know. <laughs> but there's a, quite a bit happens, but Dune is also like so slow, and there's so many things that I feel like are unspoken about it that I just, it didn't really produce a lot of feeling in me. And I feel bad because people have been waiting so long to hear my thoughts on Dune. We even made a whole episode just building up my thoughts on Dune. It produced more feelings in me the second time than the first time. Yeah. What kind of recommendations do you have for us this time? So I was talking with somebody who runs a, uh, they do like a community Bible study thing and they're asking for help because they're, they were, they were doing a little short series on second Peter and a lot of, uh, commentaries on first Peter actually omit second Peter. And a lot of commentators tend to want to group second Peter with Jude, understandably. So I went through my library to get her a commentary and I selected and among a few ones, though, my the one I recommend most highly is from the NIV application commentary series. It's the second Peter and Jude volume written by Douglas Moo. I have spoken previously both about Douglas Moo and the NIV application series. And so if you remember those, you know, I'm a big fan of Douglas Moo and I like the NIV application series. Uh, it's formatting isn't to everyone's liking. It can be a little disjointed, but overall I think it's easy to understand, easy to apply and uh, it also, I believe it uses the 84 NIV translation. So if you have any uh, qualms, the 2011 NIV, uh, rest assured, you don't have to worry about that. And Douglas Moo, brilliant man, love his stuff. Obviously, I think he's probably the foremost commentator of Romans. That's my opinion. However, that certainly doesn't limit him to, to not talk about other things. He has a great Tyndale and James, and I think he has a great commentary on Second Peter and Jude. So I highly recommend that. I'm going to recommend Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. Have you read it? Have you read any Heinlein? I have not read his Starship Troopers. I have not read his other novels either. And uh, <laughs> cool. He, <laughs> <laughs> nice. He, I know that his Starship Troopers is much more pro military, pro war than the subsequent Paul Verhoeven film. It's fascinating because it's, 
it's the vision of war that he has is very different for the future. So in contrast to Vorhoven's good CGI, but bad everything else movie, Heinlein's Starship Troopers being the source material, it's you could basically send six people in super suits to a planet, and that's all you'd need to do um, to kind of take care of things, as opposed to what <laughs> Vorhoven just totally decides like, no, but if I want to make war bad, it needs to be worse. <laughs> and so just makes it like a bunch of bugs eating thousands of people in like a minute. Um, no, Starship Troopers, yeah, the, the premise is, um, I have not read this in a very long time, by the way, so I'm going to get this, I'm not going to use any names from characters, but I remember loving it then, and I felt if we're talking about a classic science fiction with some cool um, spacey supernatural stuff, Heinlein is a great place to start with a lot of that too. Um, Starship Troopers is basically a man joining the military um, as they fight this war against bugs, space bugs. But it is this kind of grand story of just a man growing up and he's sort of experiencing things like seeing how his dad went through the military and sort of how it changed him and observing different qualities that are good, but also bad in the same way. Yeah, I guess you could argue it's a bit more pro-war, but it just seems much more not maybe pro-war, but pro-order. like Because Heinlein was also kind of a wacko crazy guy, as most science fiction guys are. Yeah, it's just a good good read with some really strong characters. Good science fiction in that they explain everything all of the time. The war sequences are very well written, and how the bugs function is very cool. Um, I know that there's other books in the series, but they're written by different authors. um, And that kind of goes with the same with the movies. I'm not recommending those. Um, there's funny clips of them. <laughs> so uh, you should do your part. Or what is it? I'm doing my part. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of children in military armor. But um, yeah, Robert Heinlein's uh, Starship Troopers. It is definitely a good read. It's dirt cheap at this point because it's been printed like a thousand times over. So you could totally find a paperback at a nearby thrift store. Quick read, very quick read. And if you're looking for some cool science fiction, Uh, Maybe not as hopeful or mystical as Dune, especially after this episode and some of the topics we got into, but still a pretty fun one. So yeah, Starship Troopers. What do you have for a fun one, Dan? So this is... Paul Vorhoven, Starship Troopers. I'm right. (laughs) That'd be so bad. (laughs) That's a good movie. I don't don't like it. Uh, uh... I had seen it at an age I should not have watched that movie at and also right after finishing the book and so I was like not very happy with it so yeah I yeah I know that some people who really like the book really don't like the movie because the movie is entirely satirical while the book and plays it everything pretty very straight. different a lot of it's very yeah. different so and uh which I mean that's just that's just how it how it how it is you know <laughs> yeah but uh, my my actually actually my recommendation is uh, a little unusual. I'm going to recommend an episode of another podcast. Uh, for those who do not know, there's a podcast called Linoleum Knife. It's a movie podcast, but their specific gimmick, so to speak, is they will compare different things, and so they'll compare different versions of different stories. They'll compare similar movies that handle similar uh, subject matter and contrast how they uh, handle things, yeah, but sort of i think the thing that really got them attention is when they do things where they compare like a remake to the original and so forth and so they they do have an episode out where they compare the dune we just talked about as well as david lynch's dune and it's a really great look at where both films succeed and fail and uh so i think the hosts are uh, intelligent and funny 
So the podcast is called Linoleum Knife, and there it's their 552nd episode, and it's Dune, Dune. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.